This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, part four of This Matters, with a message entitled, This Is Us. Let's join Dr. Roosh right now. Today, the title of my message for this week's message is, This Is Us. Say that with me. This is us. We're in this thing together. Nobody's perfect. Nobody is uh, the same. We all come from various backgrounds. One thing I know about our culture today in America is technology has changed so much in our, how we approach our plans, our, our schedules, our, our calendars. It's really changed quite a bit. I remember when I was a kid, TV show that you really liked, and it was on Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. You like had to be there for the very beginning, and you had to watch the whole thing because that was the only shot you had at, at watching it. Now there's a whole new era of on-demand thinking, a whole new era of, of how we get what we want, the information we want. We get it when we want it, where we want it, and in our schedule, and we go after it. It's really had a profound impact on people because I think that we've become more and more unconsciously selfish about how we approach just about everything. Uh, when it comes to anything that we use, it's about me. It's all about me. It's about whether or not it benefits me, whether or not it benefits my family, whether or not people like me, whether or not they give me likes on social media. And we get kind of focused in on me, 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 me. I mean, no, sometimes we get me to death. And here's the challenge. The challenge is in all of this getting information when we want, watching entertainment when we want, connecting with people when we want on our own, how is it? that this is the most lonely generation of all time. So oh, we have access to so many things. All that information hasn't worked its way into feeling content. We're lonely. What we need is we need to move from me to we. In the church world, I think that we need to move in that direction because we don't think of when we're born, many of us are born again and it's just me. We only think about me. In our whole life, we think about me, but in the kingdom of God, it's about the we. It's about what you're connected to and how we're a part of a family and how God has put us and wired us. And what I want to talk to you today about is the church in terms of we instead of me. Because I think that the on-demand culture has woven itself in to everything we do, so much so that when we think of church, we think, well, I got stuff going on this weekend. I'll just catch it late, the message later Online, or I'll catch the podcast this week, and those are all good things, and those are good for follow up to unplanned surprises on a weekend. But the challenge is, you're not getting some things when you just listen to a podcast that you get when you're with the people of God. When you're in a we setting, there are some things that you miss out on in your spiritual battles that you can't win a spiritual battle with a podcast, but you can when two or three are gathered together in Jesus' name. There are some things that you can't get in the experience of worshiping at home only that you can get when you're worshiping with the people of God and the spiritual gifts are released in the people of God. There are things that we miss out on. And today I want you to think in terms of the church that Jesus envisioned. And Jesus, when he looked at the church, he was shaping a picture of what the church would look like for thousands of years into the future. And the very first time that he talked about it was in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16, there's an interesting story where Jesus chooses to establish a church. And I'll let you know right now, 
ahead of time. The place that he chose to say it says everything about his picture of the church. He did not state the things he's going to say about the church in Jerusalem, the holy city. He did it in the middle of a commerce city to different nations. And so there are many different religions and organizations that were around there that were not serving the one true God. And right in the middle of all of that, that's where Jesus makes his statement about his church. Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my what? I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. This is a powerful moment. First of all, he's uh, talking to his disciples and and he's saying, who do you say that I am? And they're kind of talking about the, the different options of the angels. Some people are saying Elijah. Some people are saying Jeremiah. Some people are saying you're one of the prophets. So they're throwing these things out. They're all good things. But Jesus is different than all of those things. Jesus is not just another prophet. He's not just another Buddha or a Muhammad. Come on, somebody. Jesus is very different, and he's looking for a different response. And inspired by the Spirit, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in the middle of that era, friends, I want you to know this was a unique statement. Because people were used to just going through the forms of religion. They were stuck in doing church, if you will. They were stuck in just adding on little religious habits, but they had their own life. And Jesus comes to the earth, and he didn't come to establish a kingdom the same way everybody else thought he should. What he did is he came, and he was going to die on a cross. But how many know he was going to be raised from the dead as well? And he would be alive, and he would bring eternal change to the whole world, not political change just to that era. He had come for a different purpose, and who was looking for, do you get it? Once Peter says, yes, I want you to catch what happens. Then Jesus says, I, upon this rock of belief, now I'll build my church. For you and I, I want you to hear me say this today. Your beginning point is belief in Jesus. Your beginning point is surrender to Christ. How many are thankful that he has saved you? That he's forgiven you of your sins. That he's made you new. That he's birthed you into his family. That's a powerful thing. That's the beginning. It's only the beginning. It's the foundation upon stuff God wants to build on top of that. Just because you gave your life to Christ doesn't mean it's over. Otherwise, he could just take you now, right? He left you here and he left you to be a part of something he calls the church. Your relationship to the church is founded upon your relationship to Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, church doesn't really mean anything. Or you're using church for things in your life that maybe God didn't intend for you to use it for. I knew people when I was a youth pastor, the guys that would come to our youth group just so they could look at the girls. 
I mean, no, that still happens with adults sometimes in church. I've even watched and gotten a little skeptical when somebody kind of weaves their way in a, one of our single adults in our church. And I want to know, how long have you been coming? And what are you coming for? Sometimes people use religion for a lot of different, some people use it for financial gain. They figure, hey, I'll get God on my side. I'll go to church. I'll put my time in, but they aren't really changed on the inside. No, your change begins on the inside when you yield your life to the son of the living God. That's where everything begins. Then, then he says this, on top of that foundation, I will build my church. And the church is, this is the first time it's ever mentioned, the church is a configuration of God's called part ones that come together. And the church, he, in his mind, would be powerful. So powerful. He says that all the powers of hell will not conquer it. How many of you face spiritual warfare in your life? All right. The only place where you beat the devil in spiritual warfare is if you're connected to the church. When you get disconnected and you're fighting alone, you're fighting alone. But when you're related to the church, you have the ability to conquer the powers of hell. There's a connection that happens. It's powerful for you and I. And Jesus then says he will give us keys to the kingdom that our prayers will be so powerful that we can forbid things in the heavens and it will happen on earth that way and we can ask for a green light from heaven, allow things in in our story. I don't know where you're at in your prayer life and the things that you're praying through, but I can tell you this, when you choose to be a part of Jesus' church, and I'm not talking about just attending a service, hello, but when you choose in your heart to be connected to the church of Jesus, there's something powerful that happens. He gives you keys. And then when you begin to pray and you're under the authority of heaven and connected to the church and the authority of the church, then when you go out and you're on the front lines during the week at school or at work, or you're battling things from your story, your family, history, whatever it may be, and it's huge spiritual warfare, because you are connected and founded in the church, you can win the battle out there. But when you are disconnected, friends, I'm just telling you this. It's, it's the one sheep that leaves the 99 that's vulnerable to the attack of the wolves. When you are disconnected and isolated, you are in a dangerous place. You need to be connected to the church if you're going to beat the powers of hell itself. Now, I want you also to notice that Jesus' plan was relational. Because we begin to see as he starts his first church. Many people think the first church started in Acts Actually, the first church was a group of disciples that Jesus spent time with and gave them the prototype for how to build a church. And they would spend time during the days and they would work together and they would see miracles and they would heal the sick and they would, he would, they would feed the crowds and there was this dialogue that you see in ministry. But then you would also get little snapshots away from those moments where you see his disciples spending time together and they were just having real talk. They were fighting with each other. How many of you have fighting going on at home once in a while? I won't ask for a show of hands on this one, but how many of you fought on the way to church? <laughs> Come on, get ready, let's go, so we can be peaceful and worship Jesus, right? <laughs> the disciples fought over things. Who's going to sit at his right hand? Who's going to sit at his left? Who's better, the Packers or the Vikings, you know? 
They, they, they fought over stuff. They talked, they talked stuff. And that was okay with Jesus. See, church isn't just about the attendance or being in a room like this or looking at a screen or just hearing somebody yell at you. No, church is all about the connection of the people next to you. This is us. Next to you. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're in my church. When Jesus left, we see the picture of the church that merges in Acts chapter 2. And I just want you to catch what we see happening in people that are a part of Jesus' church. Acts 2.42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met, what's that word? All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now this is kind of like an amazing moment in church history, but it's an amazing challenge for us to make sure these elements are in our story. And I don't just mean from the pastor's perspective, making sure it happens in Emmanuel. I mean for you and I to make this a part of our story outside of church services. These are times when we gather together and there's great vision and there's great inspiration, a great reminder of who God is and that you're not alone. These are important worship moments. But then we also need to see some of the things that happen in our story that happen in the New Testament. When they would meet together, they came underneath the authority of the apostles and the teaching. There's two things that I want you to notice. One, they were under spiritual authority. Did you know that you and I need to be under spiritual authority? If we're not under spiritual authority, we don't have the same covering when we leave. There's a protection that comes from spiritual authority. Coming underneath the teaching is also coming underneath the word of God. That whatever your, your faith and practice issues are or how you interpret common debates of the day and age that we live in, it all comes back to the word of God. As a believer, listen, don't just follow good arguments. Submit yourself to the word of God. Because listen, arguments will change and they'll be clever and they'll try to convince you of even things that may not work or they may not agree with in our society about the Bible, but how many know this thing is eternal and someday we'll be judged by it? There's a responsibility to stay underneath the word of God. Can I get an amen to that? We have to make sure we do. And then on top of that, we have to learn to worship together. They met together, they worshiped together. There's something powerful when we worship God together. I'm not talking about being a really great singer. I'm talking about turning our hearts collectively to the, the one who sits on the throne. Our admiration goes to him. It's not about who looks the coolest or has the best outfit. Come on, somebody. It's not about a fashion show. It's not about looking great for everybody else. When we come together, our eyes are on Jesus. We are collectively looking his direction and worshiping him and and then they met in homes, and as they would meet in homes, it says that they would observe the Lord's Supper, or what we commonly call communion today. Communion is not just 
a formal thing that a church does. Communion in the New Testament was a practice that believers had when they would get together. And they would take the bread and take the juice and they would remember the broken body of Jesus and they remember the shed blood of Jesus. I'll talk about that in a little bit, but I want you to know even this week in all of our groups and our This Matters groups, we're gonna have communion. And as groups are in homes and apartments and public places, wherever we gather, we're gonna remember and we're gonna remember it's all about Jesus. It's like keeping it in front of us and remembering it's all about Jesus. And then, of course, as they met together, they also were aware of the needs of the people around them. And this is the greatest challenge that we have when it comes to modern American Christianity. In the era of on-demand Christianity, we might be limited in knowing and being aware of the needs that are around us. Not knowing the person that you're sitting next to or in front of. You don't know the story of somebody behind you today and they came to church just holding on life by a thread. And they need, they need help. And the early church had what I call emotional or relational intelligence. Relational intelligence. Say relational intelligence with me. Relational intelligence. Relational intelligence is the ability to walk in a room and not think about what's in it for me and whatever people say about me. And it's the ability to notice what's going on around me. Somebody might have a down look on their face. They might be a little distant. You have no idea who just went through a death in their life and their family this week. You have no idea what the experiences that they're going through. Relational intelligence means I also am aware of, because I'm in relationship, that you might have some issues going on. You lost a job. Or somebody in your group or your relational network of friends in the spiritual community called the church, they might be going through a difficulty in their marriage or going through pain in their physical body or not uncertainty about what their future holds. And it's a relational intelligence to not just come to church to see what I can get out of church and rate whether or not the sermon was good or rate whether or not the worship was good or whether or not the coffee was good in the lobby. But it's coming to church and saying, you know what, I'm here to meet with God, but I'm also aware of my sisters and brothers that God has called me around. They had relational intelligence. Now let me give you six things, how to connect with the church in a disconnected world. How to connect with the church in a disconnected world. The first thing is this, I want you to consider, recognize that you are a part of the church. You are a part. When you talk about church, you know, if I were to do church stereotypes, and I were to catch you during the week, and I were to ask you, what do you think about the church? People come up with all kinds of different things, and they think we're homophobic, they might think that we're angry and mean, that there's issues related to preachers who have too much money, or whatever it may be. There's a lot of opinions about church. But when you talk about church, remember you're a part of the church, that you actually were called to be a part of this thing that Jesus envisioned in the first place. Don't get caught up in thinking in terms of you being a disconnected person. You need to think that you're in, John 1, 12. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. We're born again, and then we're born again into the family of God, Ephesians 2, 19. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. 
Number two, let go of hostility and differences. Let go of hostility and differences. All of us were brought into the family of God by grace. But it's amazing to me on the other side of salvation how we still have a filter that we look at other people through. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. And at one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. We know Jesus differently, but he's challenging us to know each other differently. And that means that we have inherited many different preferences and differences. We have hostility towards people that we kind of carry in. And we have to learn to let go of those things if we're going to be connected to the church. The church is full of imperfect people. How many of you are imperfect? Let me see your hands. <laughs> All of us. And the truth is, there's room for everyone. There's room for hypocrites. There's room for backsliders. There's room for people that have labels on them. There's room for everyone. If we come around Jesus, the church, the sisters and brothers, we aren't the ones that change each other. We cheerlead each other on. We believe in what God can do to correct those things which are crooked. But we can't become part of those that have the voice of the enemy in people's lives. Where we're looking down at others. Where we're rating them based on their background or what they look like or their, how they sound. And I'll say this as a house of prayer for all nations. As God has called Emmanuel to be. A place where all nations can come and worship from every background, every socioeconomic status. People come from everywhere. When they come to our church, I don't want them thinking or feeling an experience that they look like they're on the outside. No, I want my sisters and brothers to be welcoming people. We love people that are from every continent on the planet. We love people who are from Africa, people who are from South and Central America. We love people from Australia and from Asia and from Europe, all over the world, and from Minnesota. Come on, somebody. We got people from all over the world coming together. And in order for the church to work, the people of God got to let go of racism. We got to let go of the stuff that, that causes pain and shuts the power of the church down. No, we need to follow the Jesus way. Number three, how to connect with the church in a disconnected world. Invest in your spiritual relationships. Invest in your spiritual relationships. One of the things that, that I just think that is, is, is a consequence for infrequent or disconnection to the churches, we end up uh, have, having a lack of support in our spiritual fight. And Jesus, we're not hearing his voice when we're disconnected uh, to his church because Jesus speaks to his church and we lose protection and isolation moves us away from him. So in answer to that, what we need to do is we need to prioritize connection to spiritual relationships. Number five, re-up your commitment to Jesus by participating in communion. Re-up your commitment to Jesus by participating in communion. Finally, number six, how to connect with the church in a disconnected world. Stay in love with Jesus. Stay in love with Jesus. If Jesus is the foundation in your belief in him and things happen after you've been saved, you've got to fight, we've got to fight to stay in love with Jesus. In Revelation chapter two, Jesus is speaking to a church in Ephesus and he says this, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus this is the message from the one 
who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You've discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. He's talking about a church that's been faithful. They've done the right things. They've gone through the motions. They've attended church. They've been checkbox Christians, if you will. He says this, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. This is what I want you to see. Church is not about just religious formalities of going through the motions. Church to Jesus, the kind of church Jesus planned on, he was the one in Matthew saying, I will build my church, and now in Revelation, he's talking to one of his churches. And his church, there are people that were attending, they were going through the motions, they did the right things. They said no to some things, and maybe in some ways they were legalistic. He said, this is the only thing I have against you. You've forgotten your first love. You don't do the things you used to do when you first got saved. You don't worship me the same way you used to worship me. You don't love people the same way you used to. You've kind of become kind of uh, uh, critical and, and, and you look down on people around you and that's not my heart for you. I want a church that's loving and kind. I want a church that has a lampstand and he talks about the one who walks amongst the left. I want a church that the lampstand, when it's in the, in the darkness, it, it provides hope for those that are in darkness. I, I want a church that when they come across Elk River or, or Maple Grove or Spring Lake Park that people bounce in and they come into the service that they're not just getting good Christian liturgy but they're coming in and somehow there's a light inside of them that, that, that they see around them that is full of hope it's a, the lampstand of Jesus that he gives to a church I want I want that kind of church Jesus is looking at us and and he says if that drifts and, and then you got to fight he says in a sense you repent repentance is not a bad word church repentance is a change of direction and moving back towards what we were called to be as a pastor my dream is that this would be a place, groups of people in all of our locations that don't require their pastor to be their best friend. There's no way I can, I can know everyone. But my dream is, is that everyone in the family of God in our church finds spiritual relationships to a place where you're able to give love to others and you're able to receive love and care from others. My dream is that God would form in us the kind of church that Jesus envisioned when he declared it would come in Caesarea Philippi, that he would build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against her. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.